So um, I'm happy to be here with you today as we continue into our service. Um, the last song that we sang, I feel like the words couldn't have been more perfect for what we're going to do today. So um, we got another fun topic this morning, so bear with me. Um, we're going to shake up some theology as we get moving uh, a little bit. Um, but the question that was asked for today, for our next topic today, um, someone asked how God has empowered women, how we can see it through the Bible, um, that sort of thing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Kind of feels a little strange. I'm going to admit that out loud. The fact that I'm the one preaching it today feels a little weird, but we're rolling with it. So here we are. Um, so God empowers women in the You Asked For It series. Uh, we're going to continue with that. But before we do, let's take a moment and quick pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here today. We thank you for those that are part of the family but are not in this room yet today, um, but we know that they are with us in spirit, and we pray for them as well. God, I just pray that as we continue to work through this, that your words will be my words, and that whatever comes out of my mouth will be pleasing to you, God. I know that we have spent time in this together, God, and prepped for today, and so I just I thank you for the way that your spirit moves. I thank you for the way that, just as the song says, you're in the business of restoration. You restore things that are broken. You restore things that have been tainted by sin. And you break the chains that have once held us, God. So I just pray that and trust that your spirit will be moving with us and that you'll be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So let's get into it. God empowers women. The cool thing is that most of my work is actually done for me, directly in scripture, which is fantastic, because how else can you show truth except for, for scripture itself? Um, God has empowered women from the beginning. Only one look at scripture and you can see it. You can discover the rich heritage of women over the ages. At the dawn of creation, God said that it was not good enough for a man to be alone. He knew that man needed a helper, and this is where women came in, as the helper. Eve often gets a bad rap, but we're going to set that one aside for now. But let's look at women's... Sorry, my screen is going crazy on me here. Um, but let's look at women's actual intended design from our great creator. The Hebrew word for help is azer. E-Z-E-R. And it's used 21 times in the, the Old Testament. Twice for women, three times for... Awesome. Sorry. Three times regarding military allies and 16 times speaking of God as our helper. So. And my screen continues to do that. Okay. Checking the math... I'm sorry, I'm having some issues here with my screen. Let's do that. Okay, checking the math. In 19 out of 21 times the Azar appears, nearly 100% of them are used in the verb form. Overwhelmingly military connotation. But for some strange reason, when we talk about women, we end up talking about making babies, cleaning dishes, submission, all of those things. Why is it that in every other context for that word 
Azer, helper. It has this strong valor to it. But for some reason, when we use it in those two instances with the word connected to women, we diminish it. And we take the actual intended meaning in its original language and we change it. It happens because culture, right? Sin entered the world, humanity starts breaking, and culture influences how we interpret things. What once was beautiful, what once was written beautifully by God through his spirit, through human beings, we have chosen to alter because of humanity, because of our influence, our cultural influence, our expectations, this human culture of patriarchy. But the influence of patriarchy upon our interpretation of scripture has got to stop muddying up some things. So I have this quote up here, and it says, in light of the biblical grand narrative of redemption, and restoration justice. Patriarchy and androcentism can no longer be the normative. But as regrettable conditions that God and God's human agents are working to overcome. See, so the fall of humanity let sin enter. And a fallout of sin was this break part of what once was such a beautiful harmony. And it diminished women. And so the ages pass. And so the ages pass, and we think it's normal. But now, since God is in the work of restoring, things are changing. I'd like to talk about a couple of word translations before we move into the rest of our sermon. In Psalm 68:11, it says, The Lord gives instructions. The women who announce the good news are a large army. Women, yes. Not all Bible versions translate this correctly, but there are the GWT, NAS, ASV, BBE, ERV, YLT, and AMP who all do translate it correctly. Yes, in this passage, women are a large army. I know several strong women in this room that give the devil the shiver sometimes. I'm telling you, I'm sure you can think of several in this room right now that scare the pants out of the devil sometimes with their prayer warriors, with their praise, with their amazing faith, the way that they shut down lies of the enemy. There is a powerful army in this room. And we're not just talking about this for the sake of women in general. We're talking about this because both are necessary in the kingdom. If we just have one side and not the other, our army is only that strong. We need both for that army to be strong. Don't you want that? Our army against the devil. It is speaking specifically about an army of women, and these women are waging war and preaching and breathing the good news. This next picture up here, some of you may recognize. Um, <laughs> so if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, um, you'll know exactly who this is. But God empowers women. Unfortunately, culture sometimes diminishes. And with her story in The Lord of the Rings, she was a daughter of one of the kings. And in that particular story, it's hard because she's struggling through this life where she knows that she is meant for more than what she's doing. 
but because of the way that culture has men elevated and women diminished, she can't fill that role. And even her father, the king, doesn't see the potential that she has inside. But some chance happens and she gets the chance to display what it is that she's got inside of her, the courage that she has inside of her, the wisdom that she has inside of her, and her immense valor and wisdom. And the king ends up giving her authority over the kingdom in the end. And so it's this cool little restorative moment, I know, in the middle of a um, fiction movie. I get it. But it does display exactly what we're referring to here, how human culture has influenced something that once was different. What God created. So... Human culture is guilty of casting broken stereotypes against women and influencing the interpretation of scripture. Since we are, since we are a church descendant from the Wesleyan Methodist movement, let's read a note from our heritage here that will help us today. And it says, we recognize that such a position on women in ministry is sometimes challenged on the basis of certain scriptural passages. However, we believe that all pertinent scriptures need to be interpreted in light of their immense context, as well as the context of scripture as a whole. We also believe that no passage of scripture clearly prohibits women from holding positions of authority. The passages on the surface that appear to do so are often twisted by interpretations stemming from biased readings of the text. And in some cases, there are faulty or biased translations. And in others, there's evidence of localized situations that required special treatment that was not intended for general application. We believe that God has progressively revealed in scriptures his purpose to call, equip, and empower women for a full opportunity within the church. So this comes out of the Wesleyan um, pamphlet that talks about women in ministry. And so ministry in general doesn't necessarily mean a preacher but it means leadership in general, because we are all called to share the gospel, right? We all are. But for some reason, human culture has influenced it so that in certain areas, women aren't allowed to teach, or if they are, it's only children. I've always found this ironic because it's children who are still developing all of their moral character, and we're okay with letting women teach the children, but we're not okay with letting women teach other things. So I've always found that ironic. Um, I was raised in a strict Baptist setting. And so for God to put a calling in my life to do what he has me up here doing right now has been an incredible shift in my own soul and in my own spirit and theology. And God has had to undo some things um, that were previously taught. Because how can it possibly be wrong if God specifically spoke into my life this thing? And so it's been an incredible journey for me, and Pastor Chase has been huge in helping me through that journey as well and reconciling the fact that even though I was raised one way, truth says another, and when God speaks, you listen. So, if a woman's call to fulfill the Great Commission is in the form of ministerial leadership, then it is not only her privilege, but her obligation to obey the Holy Spirit. Throughout the scriptures, we see that it is like God to work in ways contrary to traditional human systems of authority. 
God never limited revelation to kings and government officials and important people. He actually did just the opposite. To the contrary, we see God divinely empowering the poor, the prostitute, the virgin, the widow. Just take a glance at the handout. Now, there was handouts in the back. I don't know who all of you got them. Ben's got one. A couple of you have them, but there are more back there. Um, so if you'd like to see, I put together a quick list. It's not exhaustive, but it's got a ton of different women in the Bible. I know we hear a lot about Deborah. We hear a lot about Ruth. We hear a lot about Esther. But there are so many women that God worked through and empowered in the Bible. And there's just um, a small list back there and different references in the Bible where you can find those passages to study on your own as well. But it shows you exactly that. Who knew that God could use those kind of people? All right. So some questions that make us doubt what God wants to do through us. Because culture has influenced our authority and our own view of our authority. It has made us timid, even though God has called us warriors. And that's true no matter what way that you serve, no matter what your job, no matter what your position. It has made us timid as women. And sometimes often we feel like we are in a position that we're not worthy of, right? So this first question up here is one of the wrong questions. I've got a list here. The wrong questions influenced by culture. Am I enough? Am I too much? Where do I fit? Isn't there someone better? Is it worth it? Now, how many, of you in the, how many of you in this room have ever felt that way? And you don't have to be a woman to feel that way. How many of you have ever felt any of those things? Yeah, exactly. That is the way that the devil works against us, right? He pulls the carpet out. He makes us feel less than worthy. He comes up with a million reasons why we are not the person. And that's true for all of us. So for this particular question, I am enough. We're going to take a look at Ruth for just a hot second. And the reference, if you want to look that up, I mean, she's got a whole book, let's be honest. But um, uh, Ruth is, is our character study for this particular question. She is full of humility and selfless love. And by the way, she has the whole book, right? Um, but with Ruth, often people see her as timid as someone who needed Naomi. But let me tell you, that's not exactly what happened in that particular. Because with Ruth, just losing her husband, Naomi's, Naomi's husband died, Ruth's sister's husband died, Naomi, or Ruth's husband died, all of a sudden there's all these three widows. And what happens in that particular historical culture when you're a widow? usually you end up in a place where you're cast out and you're begging for food and you're just in a really rough spot. So Naomi, the elder, said to these young ladies, go back to your families, at least they can try to take care of you, right? She had the best thing in mind, but what did Ruth do? She had this selfless heart, right? And she displayed a love and a selflessness like Jesus to Naomi by choosing to stick with her and to help to take care of her. It wasn't for Ruth's benefit. We found out later that she gets blessed by it. But it was initially 
to help Naomi, right? Am I enough? I want to tell you the right answer is God in me is enough. When he tells us to do something, when he calls us to stand in a gap, when he tells us to take care of our widowed mother-in-law, God is faithful and he's with us and he is in us. And if he gives us that, it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with everything that God supplies. Because it's not about our capacity, it's about his capacity. So God in me is enough. Okay. Question number two, am I too much? This one's a little interesting. But if you were a strong lady or a strong gentleman who has lots of opinions, sometimes people in society can think that you're too much. Or you get the impression that people think that you're too much. Are you too strong? Are you too outspoken? Do you intimidate men? It's just a reality. Sometimes it happens. So our case study for this one is going to be Miriam. Um, the name might sound familiar, but she is Moses' big sister. She was also a prophet, but she was seen as aggressive. And she did have moments, like any other human, she had moments where she shined and she did exactly what God wanted her to do. And then she had moments where she had rough moments and she felt diminished and made bad choices because she felt that way. So... Anyway, we'll take a look at Miriam. She's the prophet. And she was misunderstood at times, but God still chose to use her, right? One of the big awesome things, um, obviously she, she saved her little brother Moses when he was a baby in the basket in the river. That story is familiar. But she also, there's a whole section in there that talks about how she led the people into this big praise, worship, dance, this big festivities, praising God for saving them from the Egyptian warriors. God instilled her a beautiful spirit. He spoke to her as a, one of his prophets. So even though she was misunderstood, God made every part of you and he can reach others through your unique personality. Another question that sometimes throws us off a little bit, the wrong question, is where do I fit? Again, this is one that all of us can feel. We've all been in positions where we don't know if we're in the right place, doing the right thing. Do we feel like we're wanted here? Do we feel like we're accepted here? Am I in the right seat on the bus? It's kind of what that means, right? Has it ever, ever tried to use that one to knock you off course? I see some smiling and some nodding, so there must be some people that that's resonating with this morning. But do you find yourself hiding and camouflaging yourself in a corner? not really sure where your place is. But let me tell you, be fully integrated. You can wear all of your hats. You can be a mom. You can be a spouse. You can be a coworker. You can be a leader. You can be a ministry person. There are so many different ways that God can use you, and it's perfectly okay to be you. You're in the right place. 
So Lydia is our case study for here. She was a successful businesswoman in a man's world. And if you know anything about Lydia, she, um, she was a leader in the church in Philippi. But what, what she started as was this beautiful businesswoman in a man's world who was extremely successful and extremely wealthy. She made purple cloth. And in that particular time and culture, purple cloth was something that was, um, it was hard to get to. It was designated for royalty, Right? So you can imagine if she was the dealer in the purple cloth, she was a very successful single businesswoman, single businesswoman, right? Which was absolutely interesting in a culture where women weren't allowed to speak. They weren't allowed to testify. They weren't allowed to own things. Like there was just a uniqueness to her in general. And then not only was she a successful businesswoman, but Jesus took, or God took, this woman who just went out to the river to praise God and to share time with other women who believed in God and worship him by the river. And he turned her into the leader of the church in Philippi. Can you imagine sometimes if there was some wrestling there? We don't know from Scripture but in context, I can only imagine how hard it must be sometimes to feel like, am I the right fit for this? Am I just the one that's holding the spot until someone better comes along? Sometimes we feel that way. But what the right answer is, I belong every place that God has called me. It's by no accident that he has you where you are. There's different seasons, there's different roles that he has us fill at times, and those roles may change. I am one that really hates change, <laughs> so I struggle when God wants to move me and do different things, and we have to wrestle through that together because I am not one that likes change. Um, and so there are different seasons where he wants to use our giftedness to do different things. We're still the same person. We still have the same gifts. But the way that he uses us can change. I belong every place that God has called me. That's the right answer. So another one of the wrong question, isn't there someone better? Let me tell you how many times I have felt that way. Again, has the devil ever tried to whisper to you, isn't there someone better? Has he tried to diminish you in what God has called you to do? Has he done that in your life? Has he tripped you up and thrown you off course by asking, is there someone better? So we'll look at Phoebe. She's a deacon in the church. I love this fancy word. Sencria. I had to look it up and hit play, pronounce that one a million times, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but that's where she was. And so um, Paul's reference to Phoebe as our sister indicates that she was a member um, in the church and that she was a sister in Christ. Her designation as deacon meant that she held an official position in the church as a deacon, and Paul made an intentional effort to elevate her status in the letter to the Romans. 
He wanted them to take notice that not only was, was she a sister in Christ, but that he had seen in her that God had enabled her to be a leader in the church. And that mattered to Paul enough that he spent a whole section in his letter to the Romans telling them to take notice of her and to treat her with kindness and respect. He elevated her status among the church leaders. And the churches were, they were emerging in positions and they weren't quite set in stone. And it was easy to imagine that, that Phoebe might have felt like she was just filling in until the next one, right? Like she was just filling a gap until the right guy could come along and fill it. Because culturally, that was the right answer, right? But God had called her to a place to fill the very role that she was in. The next case study, we're going to go to the next wrong question. Is it worth it? And the, the character I pulled out for this one is a little bit less known. Um, if you blink, you might pass over her. But she is in the beginning of the book of Esther. Um, Vashti is the Persian queen who was cast out, which opened the door for Esther, of course. But what we miss if we blink too quickly is that there's a lesson that can be learned from Vashti as well. So for her, it was an interesting dynamic. She is a queen with a long lineage because her father was also a king. So she had a lineage behind her and she married into royalty as well. But what happened was the king that she was married to was having this giant party and he was trying to impress all of the people, you know, all of the royals and the different people throughout the land um, that he was trying to impress and after six months of partying with these folks, he decides to hold this finale banquet that's a week long. And he had already shown all of his tricks, all of his splendor to his buddies and tried to impress them in every way that he could. And so the last thing he thought of was, I have the most beautiful wife in the land. This queen of mine is more beautiful than all of the rest. And so what happens is, the king asked her to come out and to display herself for the party in a very undignified way. And so you might not get all of that um, when you skip through those few lines of text in the Bible, but that's what had happened. And her response was to deny the king. See, Vashti had a choice to make in that moment. The easy route would have been to do as he asked because he has the power. The result, if she says no, is dire consequences, right? She could get thrown out or even worse. We'll just leave it at that. And that would be a huge, huge result of that decision if she says no. But there's also a way that she was a leader because Vashti, in that choice, knew that if she chose to do exactly what the king had asked, to display herself in a very undignified way, that it would set an example and further diminish the women around her, her children, her family, the other women in the kingdom. If she chose to do what the, the king had asked, it would further set a poor example and shove them down even further. So Vashti chose the hard road. She chose the road to be the example of respect, honor, and dignity 
And yes, she paid the consequence, the dear consequence. And so I often wonder if she ever wondered if it was worth it. Did she know the impact that she had for standing up for what was right? She was an honorable woman, and she displayed herself that way. See, when you come to Scripture, these are just a few of the stories. There's a lot more on your handout that you're welcome to dive into. But when you come to Scripture with a predetermined mind for patriarchy, that's what you're going to find. But if you come to Scripture through the lens of God's greater picture of redemption, you will see how he is at work restoring women to an equal position. See, when the fall happened and sin broke things, when sin put us in bondage, it wasn't just separation from God that happened. There was also a break in what once was meant as harmony, the way that God designed us to be. He designed us to be in partnership with one another, to lift each other up. If you're married, you kind of get a little taste of this, right? We all have things that we're stronger at and things that we're weaker at. And isn't it funny how God puts two of you together that those balance out a little bit? Imagine the kingdom if that wasn't restored. God is in the business of restoring what was broken. If the hierarchy was a result of sin, and if God sent Jesus to break the bondage of sin upon our lives and restore humanity, then why would we continue to choose to live in it? See, this is the thing um, over the years that, that God has worked really, really hard to restore even in my own mindset. Because there, there was a time where um, I felt that there's a couple of different versions of marriage and some of those terms you may or may not be familiar with, but there's complementarian and egalitarian. Fancy words that, that mean simply either one is the head and the other submits in all things, and the other is you both are equally submissive to each other. And so God has been working over the years to show me how God sent his son to restore what has been broken. And one of those things that wasn't meant to be was a hierarchy that he did not design. He designed women to be an azer. It is strength. It is valor. There are beautiful things there that are necessary for God's army to advance. And that's one of the things that he came to restore. So why on earth, if God broke those chains and that bondage and is trying to restore everything that was broken, why would we continue to live in a world where we insist that women are less, where we insist that men have to lead in every single thing and that women submit to all? I'm not talking about disrespecting anyone here, guys. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. My husband and I have an interesting marriage in the fact that we know that both of us are yoked differently, that we have things that we excel in and things that we don't. 
And so what happens for us is that we know those strengths and weaknesses. So there are times when I submit to him because I know that he has a strength in the area, and there's times where he will submit to, to me because I have a strength in that area. But isn't that perfectly how God designed it to be? If we're always submitting to one and not using the strength of the other, there's something missing. And that is a result of sin. So I don't know why we would choose it. Hierarchy was not God's intended plan for humanity, but it was an ugly result of sin. And if God cared enough to send Jesus to break the bondage of sin upon our lives, then why would we choose to live in it? So we have to come to Scripture with an open mind and see where in each and every step God has worked to restore it. One of my favorite passages um, is pretty well known. Um, if you're familiar with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, um, there was a moment where um, Jesus was in their home and Martha was so busy. She was busy doing good things, right? She was a display of hospitality. And in her culture, that's what was expected, right? Because culturally, that we have certain expectations, and that was one that was expected. So she was doing exactly what she was expected to do, Martha was. But she was so distracted by cultural expectations and status quo that that's what she settled for. And she had frustration with her sister Mary. But what do we know about her sister Mary? Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And when Martha gets all flustered and she's sitting here and she's saying, Jesus, why don't you make her come help me? Isn't this unfair that I'm doing all the work? And she's not. And what's Jesus' response? Who remembers? Who's, who's got it? She's doing what she's doing. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. You see, what was happening is Jesus had put a call on Mary's life. And she knew. He had called her to him, to sit at his feet and to listen and to learn from him. And he would then send her later on to minister to others. Who was the first one that was able to see Jesus after he was resurrected? Who was the first one that Jesus sent to tell others the good news? God had a calling on Mary's life. And if she would have listened to the groanings of her sister and likely others in the house as well, to submit to what was culturally expected of her, to what the status quo was. She would have missed her calling. But God started right there. And he said, no, I have placed a calling on her life, and it will not be taken from her. See, God has been in the work of restoring justice, restoring what was broken, a hierarchy that wasn't intended. He has been in this business for decades, for centuries. He cares, and it matters. So I'm not sure who asked the question, but thank you for giving me a crazy and, and complicated question this morning. But yes, God throughout the Bible has empowered women, and he does, he's still in the business today. So I have some reflection and action for you today. And I just want you to sit and consider some of these questions. Um, and then we'll pray together. 
Where have you let fear diminish what God has called you to? Have you ever missed out on a calling because of any of those wrong questions that we listed up there? Have those little whispers of fear and security being out of place? Am I too little? Am I enough? Am I too much? Am, isn't there someone else? Have these whispers ever held you back and diminished the call that has, God has for you? Where is God setting a fire in your bones? Where is he currently calling you? Is there something right now that God is calling you into that you need to step out with courage and faith? Because remember, God in me is enough. All of my callings are worth it. It's truth that we need to hold on to. What practices keep your fire alive? And I threw that one in there because it's necessary no matter who we are. In order to stay connected to truth, we have to stay connected to the author of truth. Have you ever skipped a certain period of time in your quiet time with God? and then wondered why you started to feel frustrated, and wondered why you started to feel chaotic, why things started to feel like it was a mess and it was overwhelming. It's because we have certain practices, certain things that we need to do to stay connected to the author of truth. Because if we're filled with truth, then the author of lies can't speak those lies into our life. He can't ask those wrong questions of us if we are so full of God and so full of the truth there's just no room for it so what practices do you have in place to keep your fire alive and how can we live restored within our broken community it may seem like an interesting question it's not a place of judgment I have no ill intent for my old church the one that taught me that women were less. I don't have any ill intent. Their intentions are well, right? But how can we live well, restored in a culture where it's still not fully restored? Because yes, God broke the chains. Yes, God is in the place of restoring. He's doing it right now as we speak. But there's also a side that we have to embrace too. We have to choose to live restored. We have to choose to live in a way that is honoring to God, that fills what he asks of us, regardless of what the world wants from us, right? And we know that living in a call that God gives us is not always well received by, by the world. Living in a world where we stand up for morals when the entire world is kind of throwing them out the window and making it normal. It's hard to live a restored, honoring life to God, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So I'm gonna give you a few minutes. I'd like you to just pray about some of these questions while the music plays, and then I will close this in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we stand here before you today. We are grateful for the work that you've already been doing. We're grateful for your beautiful design for humanity, God. We recognize that you've already broken the chains that held us to sin. Sin that is infectious and continues to break things, but you've broken those chains. But our part in that is that you gave us free will. And in that free will, you don't force us to choose it, but you offer it to us. You offer us the chance to be restored, to be refreshed, to be renewed, to live in truth, to live in truth and not in the bonds of what is culturally expected, but the truth of how you have designed things, God, the way that you have gifted and empowered and elevated your loved ones, God. It's not just for women, it's for all, God. I just pray that if there are ways that the devil is speaking any of those wrong questions in our life, God, that you will remove those in Jesus' name. Unhinder our faith. Help us to grab onto you so tightly that there's no room for the whispers of the devil to take us off track, God. Because you have called us. We are enough because you are inside of us, God. All of the callings that you place in our life, God, are worth it, God. We are the right person because you have called us in this time and place for this specific thing, God. And we praise you for that. I lift to, lift to you today all of us who are in the process of restoration. I lift to you our children that they will inherit a generation where hierarchy and patriarchy and recentism are not the rulers of this, but that we will hand our daughters and our sons back a restored generation where we can live together in a way that you designed us because both gifts are necessary in order to see the kingdom. And God, because we are all made in your image, we cannot fully understand and see you clearly enough if we don't have both sides of the puzzle, God. And so I pray that you continue to work in our hearts and that you continue to speak truth where there are lies and cast them out, God. And I just pray that if there are questions that are stirred, God, you give people the courage to ask needed questions to seek you further. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for a body who loves well, God. I thank you for a church family who loves each other so well and who loves you so well, God. And I just pray in every area of our life that we choose to live a restored life because the bonds of sin have already been broken and all we have to do is receive it, God. Show us how to live a restored life. Show us how to live restored in a culture that is not. And give us the courage to do what we know you asked us to do, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.